This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where this weekend we've got a lamb and veal sale, 25% off, along with a sampling going on Saturday the 4th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the stores. I presume that is a Thanksgiving, a pre-Thanksgiving um, sampling of, of dishes that you can get and, and probably some lamb and veal as well. So that's fantastic. Do not forget that Zupan's always has featured recipes in their news feed and on the website, and they've got roasted rack of lamb, grilled veal, lollipops, Greek lamb pitas, Asian-inspired braised veal shanks going on now in the limited time, lamb meatballs with Durant olive oil. So uh, that's all going on right now, and I would check that out if I were anybody. And Chris, you just mentioned it. We've been talking about it for years. Why not let Zupans do the heavy lifting when it comes to Thanksgiving dinner? It's now open on their website. You can order whether it be a full, complete Thanksgiving meal, or if you just want to do the sides, the choice is yours, whether you want mashed potatoes and green beans and carrots, or if you want to get a turkey, or if you want to get all of that, Zupans can do it all. Just order on the website, Zupans.com. Don't forget their wines, too. You're going to want to be drinking some great wine over the holiday because you have people you love, and you don't want to just be drinking anything. And, of course, the the people at Zupans are great in assisting you to pick the right one to go with your occasion. Three locations to serve you, West Burnside, McAnam, and Lake Oswego. And, of course, we always like people to visit where? Zupans.com. Right here it is time once again it's portland's food scene podcast right at the fork with your host chris angeles from portland food adventures and i'm co-host court johnson hello court how are you doing is it rainy in san francisco like it is here yeah not really you know it's gray skies here but i'm hearing about this atmospheric river i saw it on the news today they're actually talking about it here in san francisco heading towards oregon and washington so while you're getting rainy we're just getting gray skies down here it's been strange though because like 70 degrees yesterday oh nice we had the 70s not long ago but now it's just a little um indicator of what's to come over the next few months but that's okay oh yeah no it's definitely that time of year where it's full-on fall and winter's just around the corner all right now that we've let everybody know that and we can get on to the podcast here which i'm excited about actually um yeah this is going to be i think the second time that aaron has been on the podcast before you know i i believe it would be the third time and then we've of course had his partner in crime joel gunderson on as well and i invite people on who are listening to this to go listen to that because Aaron describes his relationship with Joel. And I know that Joel described his relationship with Aaron Barnett um, when he was on within the last year, I believe. Yeah. He was talking about heavenly creatures, which he and Aaron um, own together and operate together. And then they, the, I think the reason we're having him on the podcast today is they started a consulting firm called Giant Squid. 
And we talk a little bit about that, as well as, I think, lots of things uh, to discuss with Aaron that are interesting, which is what's going on at St. Jack, one of what is now one of the classic restaurants in Portland that has survived the pandemic and has survived a move to um, from one side of the river to the other, and I would say thrive. And um, also Heavenly Creatures and... Um, giant squid as well but we also talk about the closing of la moule and uh how that uh how that set with him and um how that had a bearing on how why he started his current you know new venture as well and uh and where they might go from there so um and then subsequently i guess it's a little bit of a tease uh aaron after this podcast we had a little conversation about perhaps doing a trip down the uh, down the road, so uh, I'm excited about that because from the moment I met Aaron back in 2010, uh, yeah, 10, right about when I started Portland Food Adventures, probably 2011. I always thought he was the most genuine, nice guy I've met, and you hear that in this podcast. Which, by the way, he he recorded from his car. He would be the second guest to have done the podcast from his car because as I don't know if you're going to get this because I started recording while this part of the conversation was going on, but he doesn't have an office. He's got uh, a three-year-old at home. He doesn't really have space at work. So the car is his most private spot. The car is his office. Yeah. So, uh, and it went well. <laughs> I mean, it technically it went fine. And uh, I think uh, editorially it was great too. So uh, I, uh, was glad to have the opportunity to be with Aaron, but I make the point that if, if we do a trip, um, I'm really excited about that because one of the beautiful things about Portland Food Adventures trips are getting time to spend with chefs that you would never get to spend. Even if you were great friends with them in Portland, you still don't have time to spend with them. So, um, you know, I'll just mention, um, because it's a nice little quick segue, we still have a little room uh for on our trip to Bass Country with Urdaneta in April we've got a few spots left for that and I'm really pleased to report we've got an official trip to Sardinia in the fall and we have a few spots left for that but we've got enough to make it a quorum which is what happens when we get enough people and we tell everybody okay you can block that out of your schedule and you can it's not necessary to buy plane tickets for that trip yet, but plan on this happening. So um, those are two fantastic trips. Uh, go to the Portland Food Adventures website. Check them out. Sardinia is is now the unspoiled island that Sicily once was and no longer is because of the White Lotus. We just went to Sicily. It's fantastic, but there are a lot of people there now that weren't there five years ago when we went. So, um, so Sardinia is just beautiful. We've got some great things in store, including the most relaxing four days we've ever spent on a Portland food adventures trip since we started doing these back in 2015. So there's that. And of course, fourth version of our best country trip. It's fantastic. So, um, we've got it dialed in. That's the point. So. Anyway, to, to digress a little bit, uh, talking about Aaron Barnett from now St. Jack and Heavenly Creatures and Giant Squid. Um, as always, we enjoy conversations with Aaron. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. 
unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. <laughs> I remember. I, I remember when I was little. Uh, I skipped a couple of grades. Um, when when you moved down from Canada, at least back in the, back in the day, they skipped you a grade almost automatically um, when you moved to the states. And so I hopped into a grade that you know I was I was young for. And I was when I started high school. So my freshman year, I was five foot one, um, and you know like I looked like a like a child. And mm-hmm. and uh, by the end of that year, I was six feet tall. Um, and my dad is your height. And so the thing was, I remember literally by the end of the year, you know, walking up and just like rest, like giving him a hug and like resting my chin on his head. (laughs) He didn't care. He didn't care for that a whole lot. Yeah. Well, how tall are you now? About six foot. Okay. Well, that's six foot to five, eight. That's yeah. yeah, Try six, six. No, that's wild. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. But um, <laughs> anyway, you know, we've all come to grips with it. And then my other son's yep. my height also. So okay. we just have this little kind of cathedral-looking thing when we get together and, <laughs> and Parker's in the middle. So um, anyway, that that's that. But it's – what are you driving there? It's, it looks like a nice car. You got, you got the full, um, you know, moonroof going right back to the back seats. Well, uh, fun story. I'm actually looking for a new car because this one uh, is not mine. It's actually a loner um, because my car has now been in the shop for three weeks and it's only a one year old. Um, is it a Tesla? Can't... No, no. <laughs> those, those I hear are just a, a nightmare. No, I got a Volvo I uh, just last thought, year. I just posted on Facebook this morning on my. 24 car history and i asked people to join in and there are three people who posted <laughs> volvos who said worst car ever you know i it's a beautiful car and the interior is nice and the like all the stuff is great but the technology aspect of it there i think that's the biggest problem is they are under the impression that there is a there's one computer that won't speak to the other computers in the car so the car doesn't know where it is it doesn't know how to start sometimes it doesn't know how to do anything so like i have what they call a a wandering mirror so like my my my, uh driver's side mirror every time the car shuts off it when you turn the car back on it's pointing in a new direction it thought for a long time that like by the navigation system just thought i was in northern california so uh it just assumed i was driving through fields and through lakes <laughs> rivers and my son thought that was awesome it's part of the ai experience the volvo oh ai experience 
So, so yeah, so now I am uh, in the market for a lightly used uh, Toyota or Subaru or something with a little less, little hey, less technology on it. Listen, I, uh, you know, I was a VW guy for years because of my business relationships, but mm-hmm. I just got a Lexus, a used Lexus. Man, yep. I'm telling you, Toyota's great, but Lexus, you get a little luxury going on there. And oh, I get it. It might cost a little more for repairs, but I think it's fantastic given its age and its mileage, and it feels like brand new. So, oh, it's awesome. That's just my thing. But at yeah, any I rate, get it. I get it. So, we can go the two things that a lot of watch guys like are watches and cars at the same time. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there are a lot of watches that are inspired by cars. I, you know, I get those emails every day. And so I don't think anybody tuned in to hear Aaron Barnett talk about watches. There's like but two people, maybe. I think Eric Nelson is probably one of the only ones. Eric, right and then now, yeah. you told me Earl. Uh, he's, he's big on the watches, too. There's, 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 watch. there's, like a, there's a handful of people. I mean, even John Dennison, you know, who you had on not long ago, he's, he's all about watches. Like, oh, we didn't uh, get into it. You, you should have. He's got some nice stuff. Um, and he's got some cool things, too. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it's like a weird little community thing. If you look at all these guys in Europe, like all the big guys, uh, even the even the lesser-known chefs over there in France and whatever, that's like part of their uniform. Like like the, the, the well-known guys, they've always got, you know, some high-end watch that you're like, man, I can't imagine fucking banging that thing around in the kitchen, you know, whether it's a Rolex or a Parmigiani or whatever. And you're like, man, that is wild. But, yeah, they, they all have high-end wristwatches and i know like even some of the bigger places like um you know a buddy of mine was the was the uh, cdc at 11 madison park and you know when he was there they they he got a you know uh, a really nice watch um out of the deal and that was just part of part of the programming they give their cooks watches too i know John while they're there about, not as parting gifts no i mean i you know i i got him uh, a little watch just because He's got some nicer stuff than I could afford, but I, you know, I got him something that he could wear in the kitchen and not feel too bad about because he was wearing his Casio pretty much every day, or his G-Shock, and so he was. Um... <laughs> See, I'm not a G-Shock guy. They always look like a like a like a some kind of a uh, blood pressure cuff or something. No, this this one's cool, and I got it just for my river trips, just oh, yeah. because you know. But my other other watches will survive the water, but this one was, and it was, you know, the nice thing is a hundred. Twenty-eight dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. When you, you this one, look at this man. It's pretty cool. Anyway, forget <laughs> that. But the one thing that you know, you mentioned chefs in the kitchen banging around nice watches. But the one thing that you and I pretty much know now, that's not their only watch. So they're they, you know, they're not going to ruin it and be out of watch. That was just that day's watch, probably, yeah, yeah, or or sure. the part of the uniform. That's the watch they wear in the kitchen. And when it gets scratched up, they still have the other. The other Omega or whatever, whatever lined yeah. up, yes. But so, um, you know, I I don't think I've ever really told my watch story on this podcast, but I'm curious about yours, your first exposure to watches and why you started liking them, and now your your journey. And you said it's kind of a new journey. You told me it's not something you've yeah, been doing for a long time. Yeah, no, I mean, I had like swatches and stuff when I was a kid, and. Um, I always liked them a lot. And then as I got older, uh, I just didn't have a a need for one. And so I never, I never really thought about them. And then I think at some point in my like mid twenties, I think I got like, you know, some fossil watch or something from, you know, a, a department store. Uh, cause I need, I wanted to have a watch and then I wound up, uh, liking that a great deal. But then, um, uh, yeah, it just wasn't something I wore every day. And then around, I think it was three or four years ago, my wife bought me uh, a watch for my birthday. Cause I thought, 
well, you know, I mean, I, I see people with watches and I was like, I'd like to have one. So, so she got me a watch and it was a, a great watch. Uh, I still have it. Um, I wear it, uh, to work most of the time. Honestly. It's so automatic. I assume you got away from the swatches and the fossil. No, it, this, this is, this is a quartz watch. Uh, oh. it, it, yeah, yeah, it was, but it was the first watch in what? 25 years. So I, I wasn't too fussed. I didn't know a ton about them and I hadn't done a lot of research, but I decided, so I got, uh, so she, she bought me a Shinola and, you know, honestly, it's a big chunky thing and you can bang it around. It's super waterproof. And then, uh, after that, I sort of like started seeing other people's watches like that. I had never noticed watches before. And so I started seeing them on people's wrists and then I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And that's kind of cool. So, uh, so after that, um, yeah, I just started like nerding out and suddenly I'm on Reddit boards and I'm watching YouTube videos of all the people I'm sure, you know, and talking is this to the, random is this people. the pandemic too. Cause that's what killed me again. Was pa- part of it was, it was like, yeah. right. Cause I had gotten the watch like right before the pandemic, maybe a year before the pandemic. And then it sort of like during the pandemic, <laughs> I was working a lot, but suddenly I started nerding out about it in a harder way than I ever had at home. And so, yeah, I think, uh, that was when it sort of triggered. Then I got a nice watch. Uh, and then after that, um, I started getting into like other random stuff. Like I've got a mod, a modded out Seiko. I've got, uh, uh I bought the, I, I cracked and bought the PRX just cause it was new and it was fun, but I got the, the digital one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I actually, I know a lot of people hate it, but I think it's super charming in its own kind of nerdy way. Um, you know, and then, uh, yeah, then I got a couple of divers and, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my story right now. But it, It's interesting how you can really be obsessed. I mean, I know the deal. You see one you like, and then you're looking it up and you're looking it up and you see it again and you're almost about to press to pull the trigger and then you don't yep. and then you do and then you know what you get it and then maybe like six months later you go what was i thinking uh, oh yeah uh, it's like you can talk yourself into rationally <laughs> thinking that like like a certain dollar amount that is outrageous is totally legit um i've you know luckily i've, I've not pulled the trigger on anything too crazy so uh i've kind of lucked out in that regard but yeah, there's a, there's like when you're looking at something like seven grand, that's not a big deal, right? <laughs> of course, it's a huge deal. Like that is a monumental sum of money. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but you you can talk yourself into anything. Yeah, seven grand. I haven't been able to even you know. No. Or, so <laughs> so you know when I'm uh, traveling in Europe or you know when I've been with uh, Renee, we have had fun going to the watch shops and trying mm-hmm. on the $7,000 watch that I have both of us. And, um, it's fun and it's nice to kind of fantasize about it. But, uh, at the end of the day, my thought is I got enough. I just don't need to, this oh, is not it. necessary. And I, and I'm not flush. So it's just- no, we, we, we were in, uh, in Italy not long ago. And, and, uh, when we were there, we went on the Ponte Vecchio and that's like all watch shops basically. So mm-hmm. I was nerding out pretty hard. My son has like a peripheral interest in these things too. So he wound up going in and you know, they were kind enough to let me try on. I had never tried on a Grand Seiko. So I thought, Oh, I'm going to give one of these a shot. So I popped it on. And then I was like thinking, you know, like about a cheaper version of one. And I went, <laughs> the one they put on me was 10 K and I was like, bro, and my son's trying to put it on his wrist. I'm like, don't even touch this thing. But yeah, yeah don't drop uh, it. Also don't drop it. Oh my God, please don't drop this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I went into the IWC watch, uh, store, the boutique. I love these boutiques, which are all one yeah. brand and in uh, Madrid. 
and had an hour and a half with the guy and he was encouraging me try this on i was like that's sixty thousand dollars i walked in and i told him i can't afford anything in the store i just want you to know but i happen to have a couple of iwcs and i love them so he said oh you're a member of the family come on in and uh, I'm just trying to fifty thousand dollars watches and stuff, so that was cool. And it's <laughs> it you know cool. what? It's really it's actually almost gratifying enough to take a picture of it on your wrist and have it on and go, okay, good. I'll see you later. It's much yep. like you know, I'll sneak a picture of great art in an art gallery or a museum, maybe when you're not supposed to. And that's my screensaver on my phone. Mm-hmm. And that's the really cheap way to have a $150,000 painting. <laughs> yeah. So that's good enough. I, you know, I know. Touches of luxury. That's all you need. Just touches of it. Touches of it. And it's okay. And it's all relative too. But um, it was really nice to, I don't remember how I, you, you and I crossed paths on watches. Uh, it wasn't long ago, but we started talking about them. And I still want to get you, I want to, share some of my stuff with you too so yeah yeah for sure we should do that sometime um but and then i you know i maybe want to do a trip with you so we could buy each other watches wherever yeah, we that, go. Sounds like, that sounds like a plan yeah we could that. surprise each other with watches <laughs> now that, those kind of things are fun right oh i agree, here, here, I agree here's the budget you know like what do they have those gift things in the holidays where everybody yep. has to secret buy Santa. Yeah, Secret Santa. We could be Secret Santas. That would be fun. So anyway, we got a lot of stuff to talk about and uh, we yeah. probably just lost a certain percentage of the audience <laughs> and, and we'll hope they're still here. So I will preface this. I probably will have already said this in the uh, introduction. I have been around the Portland food scene for 13 years and I still maintain you're one of the most genuine, nicest people I have met uh, in my years doing this. And that's why it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. So I appreciate it. So no, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, good to see you out in your car. I definitely, yeah. have, I definitely <laughs> have a flashback to Lauro when he was at uh, Republica. Same exact view. And uh, it's it kind of fun. This is where uh, I had a, I had a, I had a, 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 a humble brag for sure. But I had a, like an hour long conversation with uh, Thomas Keller uh, in this exact fashion. And he was like, do you not have an office? I was like, man, <laughs> but yeah, it makes also, sense. It's a good office. And you know, you can also, eat in also there a too. huge watch guy too. He had, he had a pretty flashy piece on his wrist when he was talking. To me. Oh, I'm sure he's got a, he's, he's, he's got a lot. Sky's yeah. the limit for him, man. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that would be pretty cool. Do you know him well enough to get him on this podcast so we could talk about watches? And other shit. I know, but you were had him in your car, so well that was like a thing. I was it was set up uh, through a, through a mutual friend of ours, and uh, it was actually in regards to uh, some of the new stuff I'm working on and and asking his advice. So. Well, good. So I think he ought to be on the podcast uh, talking about the advice that he's gotten. From we'll see. We'll see. Or, or, I, gave, or, I'm sorry, the advice that talking about the advice he gave you. So I've, I've got his cell phone number now. So I, maybe I'll start just late, late night honest. drunk texting him or something. I'm not a timid guy. I'll text him. So <laughs> I'm uh, from Portland and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so you, so I want to know, I noticed I just did like my 30 seconds or couple of minutes of research because i know what we were going to talk about and i mm-hmm. it's just a general conversation it's not 60 minutes but i i did a little giant squid uh google search and up came your pop-ups from 2011 oh, so yeah, you yeah. have decided to you like that giant squid name and you've got your consulting 
company with Joel Gunderson now yep. that you're going to that you have embarked upon. And just, so just started, yeah. Yeah, just started. And um so let's talk about what you're doing with that and what you plan on doing and what your vision is for it. Well, yeah, I mean, like Joel and I have known each other since college. Um, so it's one of those things where we've always sort of been in each other's lives in, in some capacity. And, and uh, you know, he, he jokes that I'm the one that uh, got him into this industry. And I also am, you know, he's the reason that we wound up moving to Portland. And um, he and his wife are, are some of our, you know, sort of like best lifelong friends. So um, when we when we got into opening St. Jack, uh, you know, he you know, I kind of threw him to the wolves a bit and he started out as a general manager and sommelier and, uh, he just did such an amazing job because he's an amazing person and he's, he's just so forthright and, and, uh, and, and, and such a hard worker, um, and a great guy. Right. So, uh, so <clears throat> we'd always worked together. And then when, uh, we moved St. Jack from the original location in, uh, Clinton street there, we, uh, we hopped over across the river and he helped us out for a little while longer, but then he went to go and open Cooper's hall uh, and then a second Cooper's Hall and, and, and subsequently Heavenly Creatures. And so, you know, um, what we kind of realized was that we kind of had this sort of good chemistry, uh, when we opened, it didn't hurt that we had a great team when we opened St. Jack back in the day either, but, uh, you know, we had a really good chemistry uh, working together. Um, and as we grew and got older, we had kids and families. And even though we live five minutes away from each other, we just didn't see each other very often, you know, tons of work and, and everything. And, and so, uh, when he took over, uh, uh, the old churro space, um, uh, on, on Broadway there, uh, you know, he was like, ah, I think I might turn it into a, you know, bottle shop or something. And I was like, it's got a little hood, you know, and, and hoods are expensive for anybody in the industry. You know, that that's not a cheap mm -hmm. piece of equipment. And he was like, yeah, I'll probably just yank it out. And I was like, what the fuck? No, dude. <laughs> and it also had, didn't, didn't it also have the churro uh, thing in there or was that sold? No, no. It, was by, it had long, long since it was basically just somebody was using it as storage. Um, okay. so it was just like a storage room that somebody was using. And so, um, yeah. So I looked at the hood and I was like, we could make this really, really cool. cool. And like, you know, whatever. And he was like, oh man, you know, like he, he wasn't looking for that at the time. Um, but yeah, uh, it didn't take a lot to twist his arm. He likes to make it sound like I twist his arm real hard. He is the easiest. Well, let me let me just say, I've been waiting yeah. for the opening to say, if anybody wants the other side of this story, Joel goes into his relationship with you in detail uh, oh, on, on the last podcast, which wasn't too long ago. You know, we talked about Heavenly Creatures, so it wasn't too yep. long ago. So anybody can Google right at the fork Joel Gunderson and hear his side of the Joel Aaron relationship story so i think that would be kind of fun for people to listen to in this context don't believe don't believe anything he says um yeah no so we we uh but yeah so i, I you know twisted his arm suddenly he was in uh he was building a, a bar in there and doing all kinds of stuff and we were organizing a kitchen and um a tiny kitchen and 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 trying to figure out what would be a really fun quirky weird menu based on some of the places that we had been you're uh, used to Europe. tiny kitchens by the way I am very used to tiny kitchens. I, I don't enjoy them necessarily, <laughs> right. but, um, but I've, I've become accustomed to them. I think too much space and I start to, uh, I start to wander, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so we, we put it together and, and, you know, for anybody who's been to heavenly, you know, you kind of realize that it happened again, the same kind of thing that happened with St. Jack kind of happened again. Um, you know, uh, it just, it, it's adorable. It's like a jewel box space, you know, the food and the wine and everything was just right. The people who worked there were, 
the right people and, 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 and everybody kind of came together to create something uh, pretty magical. And so when that happened, we were like, I, you know, I don't want to own anything anymore but right, right now, nothing new. Uh, and the reason I say that is because it's, you know, I lost a couple of things this year and, 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 and it was last year in a bit. And that sucks, you know. Um, it, it's hard uh, on you emotionally, physically, and and and, uh, and and financially. And so, um, for a time being, I wanted to take a break. But I still love the I, I still love the industry, and I still love trying to grow it. Um, and I have lots of creative ideas. And so, you know, we started talking and talking and talking about what we could do in that capacity. And and that's where Giant Squid kind of came from. We've been doing Giant Squid in some way, shape, or form as like pop ups or during the pandemic, private dinners or you know, we started looking at doing a catering thing a million years ago. Like we had all kinds of different things as to what giant squid could be. But I think now at 46, 45 on his part, you know, coming to a point where we're like, now this makes more sense, right? Like how, how, what can we do to help other people and other companies and, and whatnot, uh, use our experience, both good and bad, uh, to help them. So what immediately comes to mind for me, and I am no expert in this area, but, you know, you've got a lot of small operators in Portland, right? If they're yep. generally those, that would be, I would imagine your, your prospects for that sort of consulting work and they, they're operating. Well, no, they, they have budgets, you know, they can, they're opening someplace. They've gotten some investment money so they can say, mm -hmm. we need a giant squid in this equation. Sorry. I'm talking, I'm well, thinking as I'm talking, I, you no, know, no. I'm talking first and then thinking, but. <laughs> Um, I do that a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, I do that all the time. So, um, so there are people that could use your expertise, and you know, one little tidbit gem thing that you tell them could be the difference between success and failure in a restaurant. I mean, that's that's sort of the hope, right? Is that we can help. You know, everybody is going to need something different, right? So, like you said, there's going to be small operators who want advice, right, or input. Um, there's going to be people who uh, want, um, I'm trying to think of what the right word is here. There's going to be people from out of town, perhaps who need to be put on a path to, uh, uh, where to get things, how to put things together, how to, uh, what, what the city, uh, loves and needs. Right. Um, there's going to be corporations that need to plug in concepts into, you know, hotels downtown, for example, right? Like more and um, more. Yes. More yeah. More and, and, big ones. And so, you know, there's holes, there's holes in our community. Um, there's holes, uh, all over the place. And I think that there's not a lack of people opening places. I think that there's a lot of great stuff kind of going on right now. Um, but I think that, you know, media has been challenging. Um, that we're not getting as much of the national press that we used to get for whatever reason. Um, but I think also, you know, trying to, trying to find a way to support our community and our industry um, through helping open things that are hopefully cool and successful and noteworthy. Um, there was a time like when Vitali was around where, you know, downtown's hotel restaurant scene was awesome. You know, like mm -hmm. it was, it was incredible what was going on down there. And now, you know, uh, with the exception of places like, you know, like a Bullard or whatever, there's, there's, uh, it, there's not as much as there once was. Right. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, our ambition is to help. Right. And, and this is our city. And as much as I love this city, um, I see where it needs help. And I think a person like Joel, who loves the city, I, I think more than anyone, uh, he, he rails about it, but he also loves it. Um, you know, and, and I think that he's got some amazing ideas from like, 
his interactions with the community around him uh, from all walks of life, right? So, um, so yeah, you know, we've I've closed things, I've opened things. He's opened or helped open a million projects in Portland and abroad, um, you know, and currently uh, we're looking to use that. Um, but we also <clears throat> have teamed up with uh, Jessica Williams, who is from Title Bout, and she is uh, a, a force of nature. And so uh, she is also everything that, she, that Joel and I are not, which is organized. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and she operated with Chef's Table for years. She did. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. There was a lot of opening going on there too absolutely she has that experience she's opened a million things too you know and 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 the stuff that i've helped open you know we're kind of you know in the beginning early stages and then you know letting them kind of you know with uh like scotch lodge a good example of tommy right like helping them get open and then and then tim was the guy i put in over there who was at saint jack at the time who i knew was going to just murder it he is you know such a talented and, and organized and efficient and strong cook uh, and creative, endlessly creative. So, um, you know, the idea of helping people do projects like that, uh, you know, that's where I fall into, uh, like, that's where we fall into, but having, you know, Jessica Williams, she helps to, you know, add another arm to the squid, you know, so to speak, um, where, where we can also offer, you know, bookkeeping and, 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 and services in that regard as well. So, well, that's the whole package. And so, trying. Um, yeah, so you know, you know, when you mentioned the hotel restaurants downtown, and we just look at you. I've been saying for a long time, and I kind of bemoan it a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, you mentioned Vitali. I'll mention you. You're in 180, where Jose Chesa used to operate, yeah. and I've been, you know, really sad that the pandemic and other factors took away. I thought. Not all of it, but a lot of the backbone of our food world, or at least the people mm-hmm. who've been around doing it for years. And I've always had a lot of respect, you know, uh, for operators who had been doing it for 10, 20, 25, 30 years and st- staying with it. That's harder, I think, in a way than opening a new place and being rocking it for three years because those places get the coverage from Eater and, you know, the, the press and the long-term operators. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of going in different directions, but. No, no, uh, it's, it's, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think the thing is, is, you know, I, I agree, you know, like there, there, like I said, there were some holes that were left and when, you know, like when, when Paley moved, I mean, honestly, he's doing great. It seems like, so yeah. I, 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 I am very happy for him. Um, you know, I think, but there yeah, there's gaps, and and I think that you know. Well, almost everybody who left that I know is doing great. Mr. Gorham yeah. and Renee are doing great, and and sure. so is Garrett Peck. They're all great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that uh, I think that there is, but I think the thing is too is is replacing or trying to find a way to create uh, interest and create things that are um, special, and and I think that that is where Joel and I tend to uh, shine is that we create places that feel special and intimate and personal to people. And that is something uh, that we hope to continue doing moving forward with Giant Squid. 
I think you're good with uh, you. You've got a lot of experience in that area, but there's one little variable, and those are things that happen. The mm-hmm. market has changed. You know, uh, we just had Hillary from Eater on talking about nationally how people are going out to eat less than they used to, yeah. and and we it's certainly something we've talked about on this podcast a lot. Costs are going up. Labor is not only you know more expensive, but labor is even hard to get nowadays no, trust me. <laughs> i know so, so and we'll get to lamul lamul i'm sorry i don't know if the you know i don't know what the but it closed so that's the point mm-hmm. you can't that always did well it was always one of my favorite places and it closed for yes. what for reasons you're aware of and so you can't guarantee that but um you know it's i think it's a little it's challenging nowadays and well it's always been hard you know this industry's never it's not for the faint of heart it's a difficult it's a difficult animal to, 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 to wrestle sometimes. Um, you know, I think no one knew what was going to happen when COVID hit and then what was going to happen over those years and then what was going to happen at the other end. Right. So there was, there was, and you can talk to people who are far more eloquent than I am, like Erica Palmer, you know, to, to, to name one person who's just sort of, uh, like a font of knowledge uh, when it comes to this stuff. But, you know, you look at how our numbers have increased and decreased and how in, in, in terms of like labor and food cost and just products in general, uh, overall maintenance of the space uh, is more expensive. Literally everything is more expensive um, across the board. And you can only charge so much at some point, right? Like there's only so much that well, a guest is willing to, willing to pay. That's what and, I've always said. They're experiencing some of the same difficulties. They're caught, they're right. Rent has gone up or their mortgage has gone, you know, everything's changed for everybody. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing, you know, like I went by Grand Central the other day and there's a line out the door for a $17 sandwich, you right. know, and that's, which, that's used to be cheap... a, which used to be an $11 sandwich. Right. And, and so people are willing to spend money, you know, it just depends on what they're looking for and what the quality is and what the experience is. Right. So it's like, even with a place like St. Jack, like, it's a model that should not work well currently. And I will say it's not perfect. You know, obviously we're down in sales a bit and, and, but things are going okay, you know, and, and, and we're not in any kind of struggling situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there's something that has to give here. Um, and you know, I'm proud to say that we offer, you know, full benefits and I'm proud to say that we offer a competitive wage and we have, you know, uh, we're doing everything we can to make our employees lives better. Um, and, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's not easy for the business, right? Like that, that, that's just reality. It's challenging for the business to, to do what it needs to do, um, while doing what we can do, uh, socially. Right. right. So and you learned a few years ago, you had to, you had to tap dance and improvise to see what would work, especially during the pandemic, but even coming out of it, things are different. You know, I look back and you can speak to this, to open, opening a restaurant in Lake Oswego at the time. I remember saying, wow, they finally got it. They're, don't always open in Portland. Go on the outskirts. And I used to live in Lake Oswego and think, why doesn't Chris Angeles, you are a fool. It was, it was <laughs> a bad idea. Well, I know, but I used to think for the people who live in Lake Oswego, it's good. But you learned some interesting things that I've heard. I haven't spoken to you about this, but labor was really tough in Lake Oswego. Was that the big challenge? Was the 
the labor being able to get people there because they can't oh, yeah, they yeah. couldn't commute by yeah. mass transit to get there and that's how a lot of the the labor pool operates in, in mass transit in portland and that was a yeah it, it was definitely it was definitely uh, a fight uh, every day um you know we would have people just not show up constantly we'd have people you, you'd put a, an ad out or you know you'd be looking for people and it would be you wouldn't get anything you know i mean and so we had to try and find all these different techniques to find people. And, you know, um, it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak to the quality of staff we had. I think that we had some great people, but it was hard. And you're and, probably speaking uh, to the quantity of staff that you had and the ability. We didn't have that many humans. No, that, right. that was the thing, you know? And, and so for us, I think that was the hard part. We had some people who were really dedicated and we had some people who came in from Portland to work there. And then we also had some people who lived out in the area. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was hard. And, and, you know, Elise Walker, who was our chef out there at the time, like, you know, every day watching her bang her head against the wall, trying to figure out how to, how to staff that place. And, and Donna and our, our GM, same thing. Like we just don't have any bussers and we only have one server tonight. And it's like, well, how the hell do you do that? Yeah. You know? Um, it was, it was hard. And, and then, you know, it was also just a situation as, as to like looking and it kind of within the first couple of months, we sort of realized like, man. I don't think Lake Oswego wants this French restaurant that badly. Which is crazy to me because I would think that that market would. You you would, but I think, I think the thing is, is like, it's a special occasion restaurant for a lot of people. Right. And so I think that, um, out, like if you're going to go out on a special occasion, you're going to go into town. Okay. But isn't it nicer Um, not to get on the highway and have to drive into Portland? And we had some great regulars, you know, we had some great people who, 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 uh, came in all the time. Um, but at the same rate, you know, I mean, they were really fond of the hamburger. Um, and that was a big seller for us. Uh, but we're not going to be able to pay that kind of rent with, you know, a hamburger. Um, and so that was where I think, you know, our model, uh, could have been simpler maybe, or, or something. I'm not a hundred percent, but it was, uh, yeah, it just wasn't the right thing at the right time in the right place. It was all the things. Right. <laughs> and, you know, same thing you mentioned, the hotels. I mean, that I remember thinking, oh, the Vitaly and, you know, uh, Jose, who went into, and and uh, David Machado, all those play guys were geniuses to do what they did. And you know what? It wasn't a, you know, you couldn't foretell what was going to happen. Yeah, for sure. Or foresee. What's the, what is the word there? Anyway, um, you can't see what's going to happen and you can never see. But uh, all these, I, it's remarkable how many times I've thought, that's a great move. Or or I've thought that's a stupid move. And it turns out I didn't know what I was talking about ever. And right. So, <laughs> I, I can, don't don't bring me into the fold in your consultancy. I don't think I'm going to do anybody. <laughs> I could be the naysayer. I could be sure. the yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, well, the y'all, everybody are, needs everybody needs one of those. <laughs> I could be the devil's advocate on anything. Listen, um, I want to take a moment just to uh, pause for a message from Ringside Steakhouse. Speaking of, who's been around since 1944, and they figured out a few things along the way. Let's uh, let's talk about Ringside, and we'll come back with Aaron Barnett of Saint Jack and Heavenly Creatures, and now Giant Squid. Is there anything else I'm missing? Mm, I hope not. Right. Well, there was, you know, I just, <laughs> I can I can only keep track of so much. Aaron yeah, Barnett, we'll, we'll be right back with Aaron. We are pausing just a moment, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, it's fantastic. And as the holidays approach, I think 
one of the best ideas is to save. I, I know there are a lot of people out there who love to um, prepare a beautiful, bountiful meal for their family and loved ones for the holidays, both Thanksgiving and Christmas. But so does Ringside, and they've already prepared that for you. So if you'd like to nix all the effort and time that goes into preparing a meal and get the quality of a holiday meal that Ringside can produce for you, it's all there at the click of your mouse or your finger on your phone. When you go to uh, ringsidesteakhouse.com, you can look into their Thanksgiving family turkey dinner for six. Yeah, I'm looking at this uh, roasted split bone in turkey breast, which uh, comes with the cranberry sauce and the gravy. That's delicious. And the artisan bread stuffing. Oh, you wanted to go back and forth, Court. It's a that's what. Sure, wait, I wait. got the cue after doing this for ten years. <laughs> I got your cue. No, the artisan bread stuffing with sage and onion. You've also got whipped russet potatoes, and even if if you're a big fan of carrots and herbs, you can get that as well. Oh, you took two of them. So I'm going to go with the pumpkin pie, courtesy of Willamette Valley Pie Company. So um, they went to the pie experts for that uh, for the dessert. And I would say, listen, here, it's a great idea. You don't even have to think. I know when you go to the grocery store and you're preparing a meal for lots of people, you know, you have to buy it, prep it, spend all the time. And you may not have the time to do that. And you may not want to spend all the money necessary for the quantity of ingredients you don't need. Mm-hmm. This is this is no fuss, no muss. Pick it up, warm it the day of. And we've done this before, Court. Warm it the day of. And um, it's, a, it's a great idea. By just going to the website, you click, they'll come back to you with a time when you pick it up, and it's all there. And Thanksgiving dinner aside... It is the holiday season in general, and why not take your family to a great uh, Portland institution this holiday season and just stop by Ringside itself and have a great meal there? Yeah. And by the way, I'll note that if you don't do this for Thanksgiving, you can do it for Christmas also. You can plan that as well. And if you can't do that, then you can really have uh, a great Christmas and give your loved ones or your family some Ringside Steakhouse gift cards for them to use at any time down the road. We are covering all the bases. You can get all the information about the uh, Thanksgiving dinner, upcoming meals, the gift cards, and all the hours to uh, visit at ringsidesteakhouse.com. Okay, we're back with our favorite Canadian, Aaron Barnett. (laughs) See Aaron Barnett. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It sounds very formal that way. I know, but I want to ask you about that name because I'm R. Christopher Angelus. and Okay. fucking passport says robert and so when i check into hotels in europe i gotta be robert uh-huh. and i get you know text dear r and i that's the thing i hate the most i looked into oh, yeah. formally changing my name but it's i figured i'm gonna go through all these hoops and i'm still gonna get the dear r mm-hmm. so forget it i'll just go with it i'm old enough to <laughs> just go with it how has see aaron worked for you i mean that what's on your passport christopher oh uh, i didn't know it was christopher yeah, yeah. My my mom, uh, as legend says, she named me Christopher Aaron uh, when I was born, 
And then within a couple of days, realized that there were too many Chris's in the world. Oh, no, no <laughs> I've seen me. She said no. No, no. She, so there were too many Chris's in the world. She liked the name Christopher, but she didn't like the name Chris. Okay. So she thought that there were too many Chris's and no one was going to call me Christopher. So she just called me Aaron uh, my, by my middle name uh, since I was pretty much, you know, uh, under a week old. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point when, like, when I got to kindergarten and they asked me to spell my name, uh, I wrote Aaron and they were like, no, no, write Christopher. And <laughs> I didn't know how to spell Christopher. Um, but yeah, so that's that's how that all came about. But yeah, I mean, forever, it's like, if I get something in the mail that says Christopher on it, I know it's like a, a, a bill uh, or, <laughs> or, or something that I don't necessarily want to open. But um, yeah, being, being, being Christopher in Europe and being Christopher, you know, everywhere else is, is, uh, is funny, especially when you're just Aaron. But I know. Uh, listen, I always liked the way my business card read, which was R period Christopher. I, you know, the same thing with C Aaron. I think that sure. sounds cool. I was like that. And for some reason, for a long time, I was really good with it. And then I guess it was when I started traveling more, right? The passport came in and now I'm using mm-hmm. the passport domestically because I, uh, then I got to change my driver's license and all my frequent flyer miles oh, yeah, yeah. and all that shit. So, yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah. I just use my passport domestically now and I, you know, I've just, it's kind of that get over a thing. I was going to change <laughs> it to Christopher O for my old, my former, my late dog Oakley. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. CEO, whatever. It's not happening. But anyway, that's enough of that conversation. But I've always, I found it very interesting because the goddamn forms just leave you a space for middle initial and not middle name. So it just yep. completely screws everything up for the most part. So there you go. So let's, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, when I first was chatting with you a couple of months ago, or I don't even know, maybe it was less than that. You didn't necessarily want to talk about it. it was raw. It just happened, the closing of Lamoul. Mm-hmm. And um and now you said you're open to it. I mean you're the one who actually suggested we could talk about it. So um well just share your feelings with that, the mechanics of that if you want to, or just how it fe- how it feels to close a beloved, beautiful bar slash restaurant, whatever you want to call it. And by the way, I have had some of the best muscles in the world over in Paris. So yeah. uh, uh, it, they were, they, the only, they can, comp- you competed with Paris over there. Well, I'm never going to fucking win over Paris, Chris. Come on, get out of here. I mean, like Portland on a rainy night and then you go to Paris on a beautiful day. <laughs> well, it's no, a whole different the, thing. the muscles themselves, you know, I had oh, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, where else? Well, oh, Brussels. I had the most amazing muscles in Brussels and it should oh, be that's, that. That's way. like that. That's like the home, right? So, right. So, um, yeah, no, you know, at, at the time I didn't really want to talk about it just cause it was a shitty thing to talk about I, yeah. you know, I didn't i didn't want to get into all the nuts and bolts and details of it i think anybody in the bin in this industry when you look at why someplace closed i don't even think you need to ask anymore right like it's it's a it's a confluence of uh a bunch of bad things all at the same time and like we just said you know like there's all the different financial things that you have to you have to jump over there's all the different uh like whether people are showing up as much as they used to there's there's how much are people willing to spend now um there's how much are you able to charge are you able to staff appropriately like what are you what, what are all the things right and yeah you know, you're coming out of covid and like at the time i was like man i do not i'm closing this place i love this place this wallpaper is going to come down right and that that's I think, the was tough the part. part man yeah and 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 so you know i'm looking at this thinking like this i don't want to talk about disease right i don't want to talk about 
money. I don't want to talk about any of these ugly sort of realities, right? I just want this place to be what it was in your head. I want you to remember it and I want you to love it. And I want you to remember all the different staff we've had over the years that you enjoyed, whether you were regular or you just had a good experience and the people who drove that ship, um, you know, the people who were in the kitchen, the, the, the chefs who we've had over the years, um, you know, the, the general managers, the bartenders, the bar managers, like all the people that moved through that space and made it what it was for eight years, which is a pretty good run, you know, in, in this day and age. And, you know, uh, yeah, it just, it was never a huge like cash cow for us. It was a more of a passion project for me. And, you know, I think that in the end it was just the, the, the thing I keep saying to people without getting too detailed about it was the math stopped mathing, right? Like mm-hmm. nothing penciled out anymore. And, you know, we could How long keep... do you go until you say it hasn't too been long, mathing too for long. a while? Yeah. <laughs> so, too, too, you know, I mean, it was at a point where I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't keep up mm-hmm. and, and, and Kurt, you know, couldn't, and, 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 and we just couldn't, uh, you know, we couldn't keep shoveling money into this thing and, and hoping that we were going to snap out of it. Summer. Oh, summer's happening. It's going to be great. Oh, the, uh, RRF money or, Oh, the whatever. Right. Like, all these things were not happening for us in a way that would help us out. And ultimately end of day, we were a very expensive, very small restaurant that was doing our damnedest. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and we were, yeah, it was a sad, it was a sad thing. And that last month was, you know, um, crazy. And like, uh, it was, it was wild to watch my, my, my team in there, just go through it every night and they were doing record numbers literally every night was bigger than the night before. And, you know, the people who were coming in and crying, the people who got married there, the people who got engaged there, who had their first date night there, who had, you know, their child there, you know, like, or not literally in the space, but like, you know what I mean? Like bringing their kid out for their first meal. Um, yeah, it was, a it was a pretty, pretty spectacular little spot. And, and, and I'm sad to see it go. Um, but yeah, and I'm sad to not be seeing all the people that I used to see all the time. Uh, Do they come to St. Jack? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, people come to St. Jack for sure. Um, no, uh, I meant you know, the Lamoul people. Are, there, are they, you seeing some of those it, people? It's, it's, it's a different crowd. I mean, you know, it was, it was far more of a neighborhood spot over there. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Uh, we do get a lot of the same people who are just fans of what we do. And, and so they do pop over because the muscles are, we do a lovely mussels over at St. Jack and we do the butter lettuce salad and chicken liver mousse. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that if you are a, a Lemuel fan, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna find over at St. Jack as well. And we have a nice bar with friendly staff and all that stuff. We just don't have the wallpaper. We got a really beautiful wallpaper, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. What about it's, putting it's, it up in the bathrooms there? At least just, just a little well, piece we, of- we, before we knew we were going to close, we just uh, put up all new stuff in the bathroom uh, through uh, a really good friend of ours. And so um, we're very happy with it. But we did save the wallpaper. Um, it's currently at Chef Staples' office, and I keep forgetting to go pick it up. But uh, we are probably going to do a little framed piece of it that will go probably on the back bar at St. Jack somewhere. Um, and then we're also getting the uh, the big light bulb that was over the front door, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll probably also put on the back bar. Um, and I'm then, guessing yeah, we, you we, could auction you could auction pieces of the 
wallpaper I mean, maybe, off for charity, and people would buy framed pieces of Lamoul wallpaper. We are we we have toyed with that. We had a lot of people ask to buy it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so you know that that's actually not a bad idea. So I'm picking it up. Actually, I, now that I think about, it, I should probably pick it up uh, in the next couple of days. But um, yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the game plan is to see if people do want it, and if there is a charity that we can we can help with that. Then that's I didn't I mean to lock you into charity, but you might have wanted no. to sell it to. I, I mean, would I, like lo- I would too. love <laughs> a framed bit of that wallpaper yeah. because I, I know you know for there was I can't say consistently over the years, but there was a two year block of time I was there quite a bit, and you know it was mm-hmm. when Nathan was there, and I miss Nathan, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was a. It was a fun place to go, but that wallpaper, yes, one of the most memorable decors in Portland, you know, one of the most recognizable, like people could, when they think of La Moule, that would be probably the first thing that would come to mind. I can't think of other other restaurants. Every time they would walk in the door, you know, the minute they would walk in, if it was a new person, that was always the, oh my gosh, look at that. You know, like it was always kind of the little gasp moment when they walked in the door thinking how cool it was. And um, that was the hope. We also were kind of scared when we put it up the first day because, uh, I mean, in that skinny little bar room space, I mean, that that might blow your mind. You might be having a trip there. (laughs) So for the record, who chose, do you know, you remember who chose that wallpaper or who who found it and who approved it? You must have Uh, approved it. No, it was me. Uh, I was Googling muscle shapes, uh, vintage muscle shapes online, Mm -hmm. and I stumbled across that pattern. And it was a pattern for, I think it was an old wrapping paper um, that had been, that had been, uh, uh, that I found an image for it. And I screen grabbed it and I could never find it again. Um, so it, it kind of disappeared. I, I found it here and there, but it's never a consistent Google search. And so luckily I had it on my phone. Um, one of our, uh, investors at the restaurant, um, was a, uh, graphic designer and artist and, uh, Damien Gilly. And he, um, took the print, uh, and one of our other partners, Randy was also a part of it, took the print and, um, basically cleaned up the image um, cause it was pretty grainy, the, the visual and cleaned up the colors cause the colors were kind of beigey and, and the blues were very, you know, kind of unattractive. And so cleaned it all up, spruced up the colors. And then we just had to figure out a size for it. And, uh, so we had the wallpaper made, I believe it was in Texas and then, um, it was shipped to us and then we went to go and put it up and we, we were just fingers crossed that it didn't cause somebody <laughs> to have a seizure when they walked in <laughs> and, then, and luckily it came out and it came out well. Oh, that's interesting. That, I think that's a, that's one of my most fun stories that we've had it to, in ten years on this podcast. Is, oh, is yeah. that? So it's too bad yeah, that it people a, can't go see it now after hearing this story. That's, that's I know, I know. I'm thinking I'll, I'll I'll create like a photo booth somewhere, and somebody can just go ahead and take take pictures in front of it for <clears throat> for old time's sake. That's not a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so those are the kind of things that are going to come out of giant squid, right? You're going to mm-hmm. come out with some, not only nuts and bolts ideas, but really fun, thoughtful. creative ideas. Yeah, we're just so. trying. We're just trying to be thoughtful with what we do and have intention behind what we do. Um, and you know, I think a lot of the details that you found at the old St. Jack, uh, whether it was, you know, my wife Andrea who helped with the design aspect of that, or you know, which made it feel like the most charming little place on the planet or, you know, with heavenly creatures, Joel's wife, Jenna was, is the one that does kind of the same thing there. And it's like, you know, having these touches, um, that, uh, that, 
that, that we have that we can put towards other people's projects and maybe give them something that they didn't expect or, or hadn't thought right. of that they liked just as well. So. Well, it's always good to have another perspective. The candles that you had at St. Jack, did those come from, Still there. Did those come from John's on 12th in New York? Because that's the they only other place I've seen them. <laughs> no, this is another uh, – you give me too much credit for knowing anything. I, <laughs> I uh, When we opened um, St. Jack in 2010 – uh we got our first reviews in 2011 um because we opened in december 27th 2010 so january or january february i guess is when we started getting reviews from oregonian and portland monthly and all these places and, uh we were they were all very positive and it was great obviously you know to open your first place and i think i was 29 or no, i was 30 at the time so very exciting. Um, and then one review came out and if you remember the spaces kind of bifurcated two spaces, one was a French patisserie in the daytime. The other one was more of a darker wood bar kind of situation mm -hmm. at night. And so at night we would break down the patisserie and turn it into more dining room space. Um, but it had hexagonal white tiles and it had sort of like more of a tile and whatever vibe, more of a cafe spot spot. Um, and the review was great, uh, but in it, it was like, but you don't want to sit on the cafe side because it feels cold and sterile. Uh, you want to sit in the bar room. And of course, it's the only thing from the review that I remembered. And I was like, fine, fuck it. We're going to put candles fucking everywhere, right? You know, because I was like mad that I did, that I got something negative said. And so we did. We just put little, um, there were brandy snifters and uh, uh, votives. And we would just put those out all over. Cause if you recall back in the old days, I used to work in the dining room, um, on my pantry station. I had like a bar that I would work at, mm -hmm. uh, to do all the, all the, all the, all the salads and cold stuff. And so I, uh, I would just throw candles all over the bar and, and they would just sort of never get cleaned. Like you're supposed to, at, at the beginning of every shift, they, you, know, you pour hot water in them and you chip the old one out and you put a new one in and you do that. Well, I didn't have time for that. And I wasn't going to try and make Joel do it. So, uh, I just threw a candle on top of it and threw another candle on top of it. And eventually the votive doesn't do any good anymore because it's now above the, the right. protective wind screen. And so they just kept building and building. Then they go out and I pack a new one on top. And, uh, you know, Kyle Webster from expatriate, uh, he was uh, our bar manager. And so he started doing it at his bar at around the same time. And the next thing you know, we were like having competitions to see who could get these things to be bigger and bigger and bigger. I think by the end, I mean, these things were like five, six feet tall. Yeah. Uh, they were out of control and, and <laughs> you couldn't even see the bartender. You couldn't see me. It was just like a forest of these like redwoods. Um, but yeah, a lot of them made it over to St. Jack. So we still have, I think we've got about seven or eight of them over at St. Jack now. Um, but they're spread all over the, all over the place. So they're not well, just, and it's uh, bigger. They took up more space, uh, proportionately in yeah, St. Yeah, Jack. Yeah. So they sure did. They sure uh, did. Well, you know, I just mentioned it and I just think it's fun for anybody who loves food and all the stuff. Uh, one of my favorite places when I used to live around New York was to go to John's on 12th, mm -hmm. where they have those candles that have been, I don't know their story, but they've been open since 1904 and they got like full tables that are just the candles oh, yeah. that have overgrown. And so, um, I just noted, you know, that was a, I believe that was a big scene in, um, the Sopranos. And then I just watched the Gotti documentary and oh, yeah, they just yeah. had a yeah. lot of the mobsters in that restaurant. That's where they were interviewing them. So it just came to mind. That was like last week. So, uh, <laughs> 
but that's I'm sure they're all over the place. But that the, that's the iconic candle place in New York, and yeah, yeah. also a place you know. For me, there's all, and I'd like to talk to you about this too. In New York, obviously, there's a zillion cool places you can go. A lot of new places. You can read Eater. You can have friends. But for me, I love going to old school. John's on 12th with the Italian waiters and, you mm-hmm. know, the tablecloths. And, um, you know, that's an, it's an iconic restaurant. It's an experience that is very different that you'll remember. How do you feel about that? Um, having opened new restaurants and now you've got St. Jack that's been around for a while. Now that can be called a Portland classic, but how do you feel about, you know, the next shiny new thing, heavenly creatures? Let's, let's go with that versus, you know, how people find restaurants and view them. I think they should be going to St. Jack. Of course they should be going to heavenly creatures, but I just think that the places like St. Jack have been around and proven you, you've proven it. It's great. That should be on, you know, it's on the Eater 38, is it not? It better be. It's it has been the- since so the third month we were open. Right, okay, so, so it it's has. Been on there, and, yeah. You know, places like Ringside go on and go off, which I think yeah. that's ridiculous. If you're visiting Portland, I just think Ringside is a place you should go before you should find the latest food cart. That's just well, me. I, th- I think, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it yeah. Right. Like I, I, I go back and forth. Um, I think that the food scene is, is made up of a bunch of different, uh, types of business. Right. So you got to mention some, I think that, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes Portland gets carried away with what they think is so great, what they don't think is great. There's a lot of places that are fantastic that don't get the press that they probably should. Um, you know, and that's a bummer. Uh, cause we all need it, right. To, to, to keep going. Yeah. And Saint it's Jack harder is... to get it when you've been open for a while. How the hell do you get press well, yeah. on, on Saint, we... at St. Jack now? That's very hard. <laughs> we are lucky. And I think the thing is, is that we have spent a lot of our time, uh, over the years, slightly modifying what we do and how we do it and why we do it. Um, while ultimately never trying to, uh, cut corners and make things that we're not proud of. So our wine program is always one of the best in the city. Uh, and we've had a number of different people caretaking that program over the years. Our bar program is always one of the best in the city. It really is. And we've had a number of great people who've taken care of that program over the years. Um, and, you know, in the kitchen well, and our management teams have always been, you know, we've been so fortunate to have people who cared and loved the place and took care of it. Uh, in the kitchen, we've had strong leaders who have always uh, pushed, uh, put their own stamp on kind of what French food is and, and, and modifying some of sort of my older dishes and, and, and changing them or creating their own thing and, and pushing their own trope. I mean, you know, our last guy, John, is just a, he's just a talent, man. You know, like just such a hard, hardworking talent. And, and, and he's not scared of food. Um, and that is one of the things that a lot of cooks are. Uh, but he, he's in what respect, can you explain that a little bit? Well, you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to fuck it up. Right. Like you're not, you're not afraid to experiment a bit. And I think that that's something he's got uh, in spades, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, he's also smart enough to know that like, you have to have a certain number of X, Y, Z dishes to make it so that you can sell the weird dishes, you know? And, and I think that, uh, you know, we're really lucky to have him there. And, 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 uh, I think that, you know, he helped push the menu in a direction that I wanted to go in over the years, but I just couldn't because I had different businesses that I was tending to. So I couldn't ever stay in one place and push that 
uh, forward. Um, and so, you know, he was living in it in France. And so for him to come in and do it, I was just, I kind of had some grumbling in the beginning where I was like, you know, uh, overprotective. But I think in the long run, you know, like at some point I was like, you know what, fuck it, this guy's killing it. I'm just going to leave it and let him do what he does. And, and that's what we did. Um, you know, he left and, uh, um, I, uh, I came back in the kitchen because we had just let Lemuel, uh, we had just closed Lemuel. And so I needed a home. And so I came back full time to St. Jack at that point. And so now I'm there all the time with George, my, my, uh, my chef who is, um, another young up and coming talent, just very, very strong, um, and, and, and smart and also not scared of food. And I think that that is something that St. Jack needs to, is to have people who aren't scared of what they're doing, to be, to push a little bit, to try new things, to always be French, but always push in the right direction. One foot in the classics, one foot in the modern. And I think that that's the direction that we're in right now. Um, my, my style of cooking what's, what's is always George's be, last name, just to give him a, George Howard, George Howard. Oh, George Howard. Um, yeah, yeah. He is uh, a, a horse of a man. Uh, he's he's a big boy. Uh, very, and I mean that in the nicest. Possible. I was going to say. I wonder how he feels about that. Uh, he is he is ripped to shreds. He is just jacked. <laughs> awesome um but he is yeah he's been he's been fantastic so uh so he and i you know it took us a little bit to like learn how to work together on on things and now that we've kind of hit that um i feel like we're kind of hitting a nice stride now i'm really proud of the menu that he uh he and i are putting together and and i'm proud of the execution we've got a great team right now um and uh yeah i couldn't be i couldn't be much happier uh and how is it for you? You know, you got a three-year-old at home, and that's not easy to be away. <laughs> and you're in the restaurant more than you were before, although you were splitting time before, I guess. So. Yeah, I mean, I was always working quite a bit, but now it's 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 focused in one place. So the kids were really bummed out because Friday night was when I was at Lemoule. And so they would come in every Friday at five o'clock um, and have, you know, burgers and mussels and, and see me and hang out. And now they don't have that. They come to St. Jack, but uh, sadly the, the burger is yet to, to reappear. So, um, so they said so they missed that aspect of it, but they still come in. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I try my best. I, I kind of live like a bit of a cockroach and I, I get up too early and I go to bed too late and I, uh, that's why you have watches so you can, <laughs> I got I got I got alarms for everything. <laughs> um, but no, like I gotta, you know, I, I get up in the morning, I take my son to school, get them ready and all that kind of stuff. And then I rush home so I can say goodbye to my daughter before she goes to preschool. And, and then some nights I'm not working service. I'm just working during the day and other nights I'm working service. So, you know, I try to be as present as is humanly possible during the transition phase. However, I was also doing offsite events. So I was working six to seven days a week for almost that whole first month. Um, and that was, that sucked. That was just terrible, but we're back to a good place now. And, and, um, you know, I'm able to spend my time with my kids and like, we'll get off this with you. And it's actually Halloween today. So I'll go pick up my, oh, my kids right. and, and we're doing all the, we're doing all the, all the Halloween jazz tonight. So will you wear a costume? I am wearing a loose, a loosely uh, sort of costume. Every year I do something. It's always last minute. I, I found some uh, braid wig that my my daughter had, uh, or I think my wife had uh, when she she was some something, and so I went as uh, I, I put that on and went as Willie Nelson one year. Um, I think this year we're having a um, we're having an anime theme. So uh, my kids are going as Totoro in May, and I am. Uh, I think my wife and I are going to be one of the little sprites or whatever they're called that live, <laughs> live in the forest. So that's good stuff. 
What was Halloween like when you grew up? I can tell you stories of, I mean, it was violent where I grew up. And oh, fuck. I was, was all, Canadian. It was fine. It was, it was usually the first snow of uh-huh. the year oh, where, God, where yeah. I lived. Um, usually the neighbor uh, and the neighbor's dad would go out with my dad and I. Uh, they would, of course, have some kind of warm rum drink of some kind while they walked us around the neighborhood. And there were plenty of pit stops back at the house <laughs> along the way. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was very low key. Like in Canada, it was, it's, it's, you know, where we lived, it was a very safe and happy and pleasant experience. <laughs> a little chilly, but that was oh, about man. it. It wasn't, I lived in a nice community, but it was not safe. It was, uh, you were not safe from like my brothers, my brother <laughs> and his friends, there was stuff going on that it, it's really hard to hard to believe. And now oh, I, I believe, see I bet. Yeah, and now, you know, the worst you see is a little toilet paper and I get nothing. I uh, I've lived in Manzanita for 10 years. I've never had a knock on the door. Really? So, nope, nope, and no, I, I was, certainly weren't where I am now. I mean, now it's like the Adams family practically coming down the hill. So We are uh, we're we're more of a we're we're in definitely like a family heavy neighborhood so right. uh it's 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 kind of a thing where we are for sure well when i lived in lake oswego they used to bus people into our street because it was friendly and uh, oh yeah i just watched the uh the curvy the larry david episode the curvy enthusiasm episode recently mm-hmm. where he answers the door and it's two 17 year olds without costumes <laughs> and he decides no you don't get candy if you can't even put a pos- costume on and you're 17 and they just nailed his house afterwards it was, it was just, <laughs> it's just a great great scene um so you know when you and i first met and we actually had a trip to leon planned at one time and that fell by the wayside for whatever reason but at the time you hadn't done any traveling yet to france mm-hmm. now you've had you've done quite a bit and you've traveled to vietnam and different places i'm curious not yet, not yet. I'm, I'm, vietnam is uh december okay well so i find it up. interesting that you're doing trips to places you haven't been and mm-hmm. that's cool that's the whole thing is about being with you so uh and trying the food <laughs> but you know Lucky. vietnam Lucky. has a french bent so I, from a mar- i'm not that's not our trip, so I, I don't know what the marketing is all about that. But my question is, now you've traveled quite a bit. Can you tell me about some of your best meals that you've had either in Paris or Lyon or in France? What are some of your most memorable experiences that made you say, holy shit, you know, I've been yeah, cooking yeah. this food for years. This is it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can uh, my, my absolute pinnacle favorite restaurant on the planet um uh is is uh chez denis uh in i think it's in the first in paris and it's a lyonnaise bouchon style restaurant um it's a very old restaurant it's open 24 hours i believe um and you know the servers don't speak a ton of english which is weird for paris because most people do Mm -hmm. um it's it's not a tourist restaurant like when i went in there the last time i was speaking in whatever version of my french i've got to the server and i was with a group of eight people and uh this woman next to me just leans over she was just like how did you hear about this restaurant you know it's like i was like she's like i have been coming here for 25 years and i've never seen a fucking anglo and i was like oh uh i was like well you know i'm a chef and i do all the research on these things and try to find places that i want to go but yeah uh chez denis is definitely one of my top favorite restaurants um it's just rustic 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 and the servers are 
you know, they do, they, they are as French as it gets and the food is fantastic. And, and, um, yeah, I, I think that that is one of my favorite places. Do you remember uh, a dish that, that flipped you out there? Yeah. The tripe a la mode. Um, it's a, it's, it's a tripe stew that is more of a soup, honestly, that comes from France. Um, it's usually got Calvados in it. Um, usually mm-hmm. carrot and potato. Uh, I'm a big tripe guy, so I like it a lot, but when they serve it to you, they serve it to you with no bowl. They just give you a pot and a ladle. And, uh, the first time I got, I wasn't quite sure how to go about uh, eating this thing, but you know, you just muddle your way through, you know, the steak tartare there is, is eight ounces of steak tartare and there's sort mm. of a big pile of fries. The, you know, if you, if you're into like liver, uh, I watched a family sitting next to me, uh, and it was like a 13 year old boy and he had probably a nine to 10 ounce piece of liver and onions that he was just killing. And I was like, man, <laughs> this place is nuts. Um, but yeah, I mean, brain, you get anything you want, they've got it. But they also have, you know, a lot of normal, normal dishes. Too. I was going to say, you haven't sold me yet. No, that like the, like the, uh, well, I like all that stuff, right? I so, know. Like, that's what, that, that's my point, but that's good. Like their, their, their coat de boeuf was probably about a kilo of beef, you know, of a ribeye with the bone in. And then it had wow. about six, six, uh, five or six inch tall pipe bones of marrow around the whole thing. And it was, I mean, it was just mind blowing to see all this food and, and, and the style, the level of uh, casual sort of perfection that was going on with it. Uh, so that, yeah, that's one, um, Paul Bocuse, uh, was more like the more elevated thing I think was probably my favorite experience just because that it was, was on our of, list. If I recall, yeah, it's a bucket list place for sure. Um, and it's also, uh, perfect, just perfect. Uh, the space is perfect. The service is perfect. Every, like the table side service aspect of it was something that and I had never encountered. That's in Lyon, correct? Just outside, yeah, just yeah. outside of Lyon. I think it's twenty minutes outside of Lyon. Um, mm-hmm. But the you know the, the the table side presentations of things, the chicken stuffed in a pig's bladder with truffles, and uh, <laughs> and they they pop it at the table, and then they carve the thing. And I watched a maitre d with just a knife and a fork uh, butcher a chicken in 30, 30, 33 seconds, I believe it was. Uh, at the table and you know the sort of level of uh 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 of generosity of spirit right like you're spending money but it was probably the cheapest of the three mission star restaurants i had been to but it was um like i asked if i could get with the tasting menu i was like oh i've never had a canal de brochette uh which is like a leonese specialty it's like a dumpling made of pike and uh um it usually has like a lobstery or a crayfish based sauce mm. and so i wanted to try and i've tried the rustic one but i've never tried the one from there the three Michelin star version. So I'm like, I got to try that. I was like, can I get one to share on the table? And they were like, yes, but of course. And instead they gave everybody a plated half of one. Mm. And when I got the bill, they charged us for one. And there was eight people. Right. Wow. Um, when we got the poulet breast, which is the chicken and a pig's bladder. Again, I ordered the menu tasting menu. And I was like, at the end of it, I was like, is there a way that we can add on this chicken to the end of it just just one chicken so that we can all just taste it so i can say i've done it and they were like yeah of course so they did and they brought the whole thing out did the whole presentation and then you know i put my cell phone away because i had taken a video and they were plating and then i turned back around and they pulled another bird out and they did it again and it was just because they didn't have they didn't feel like it was enough food for eight people with one bird so they brought in another one and again it was uh complimentary and i was like wow that's 
pretty cool. You know, like the fact that they, they, they do this kind of thing, but that was amazing. You know, like Trois Gros is another place that when I went to it, it's just like a beautiful place. And like halfway through the lunch, there's like dappled horses with like flowing Fabio fucking manes, like prancing around out the outside and Jeroboam's of chartreuse and, you know, all kinds of stuff. It was just, yeah, there's some pretty epic places there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Clamato was another great restaurant, sort of a modern uh, uh, seafood restaurant was really great. Um, I went to Verjou on my first trip. That place was, that place really blew me away, um, just in terms of like how, how the level of um, attention, but also like how perfect it was. Um, and, 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 but also not super pretentious. Um, it wasn't like going to the three Michelin star restaurant, but everything was just so labored over you could tell how loved it was before you got it It must have been overwhelming to go to all these wonderful places in one trip because you know that that can that's a lot to take in and a lot to it is too it is i mean by the time like the third like i'm at this lunch at trois gros and i've been to arguably too many uh three Mm -hmm. michelin star restaurants um on this trip and by the by then you're you're like leaning back at like two o'clock in the afternoon swirling your wine being like mm-hmm. oh, that second course is a little disappointing while there's fucking horse trout trucks along behind you. <laughs> you're like who what horrible version of myself i've come where this is like uh, i'm complaining about this but it was um yeah i mean it, it, it is it's it's but it's also like one of those things like when you do it um you get to experience so many different things and so many different avenues i mean like i also love going for don air you know, like when I, uh, for like street food, like I'm not always eating luxurious French things. Like oftentimes I'm just like trying to find something yummy. And I think that that is how people should travel. Like, like you were saying in like New York, right? Like you go to the old school places. Like, yes, mm-hmm. I go to some modern restaurants, but I find more charm in going to an old Jewish deli that's been there for a thousand years or going to that place that only sells pickles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, I just, (laughs) my wife just went to New York and she brought me back a Katz's hoodie because she was, uh, she was there. And, 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 you know, when I was a little boy, you know, I lived in a predominantly Eastern European and, 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 and Jewish, uh, town, uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, at least at the time. And so like half my friends owned, you know, delis or little bakeries or places where you got like, you know, uh, Ukrainian food or whatever. Right. So, and a lot of those places have a a whole hell of a lot of charm. It's like Swiss hibiscus or whatever it is like over in, um, in Southwest Portland, you know, it's just like a taste of like old school, you know, and and there's like, you go inside and it's not frilly, you know, unless it's literally frilly, like with lace doilies and stuff. (laughs) Just also the idea that you're, you're experiencing something that someone experienced 80 years ago. You know, and the, and this is well, yeah, just, and it's pretty much the same. It hasn't. But if you're twenty, changed. if you're twenty four years of age or whatever age, right? Like you're young, and you go into a place like that that's been there forever, and they've sort of been doing the same thing forever. Uh, it's new to you, right? And right. and it's and, and it is. It's a throwback to a, a different time. When I lived in L.A., you know, years and years ago, my favorite places were the places that had been there since the thirties and forties and fifties. Cantors? You know? Did you go to Cantors? All the time. Yeah, Cantor's, that was nice Cantor's, Cantor's was too. And, and like, did you ever see the kibitz room next door? No, I don't think so. So the, so the kibitz room was like where they would have, you know, parties. It was like their party room. Um, mm-hmm. And so you could buy out the kibitz room for, you know, your, 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 um, whatever holiday. And, uh, 
uh, in the eighties, it just wasn't doing any business. Right. Cause it was like a, a Jewish deli with a party room, you know, and nobody was really doing anything there. So they actually put a stage in there. And so if you go in, you can see all the eighties, like glam rock bands were doing shows like mm. guns and roses. There's like a picture of guns and roses when they were like super young doing a show in the kibitz room, just so- like cr- crushing pastrami sandwiches afterwards because part of their payment was in sandwiches. sandwiches. So they had to go from the kivitz room to the, the rainbow to the whiskey. They had to yeah, make yeah. that. It's a natural arc, you know? Like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I I, when I went to Cantor's, it was the, the late 70s. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know about the kibitz room, I guess. Oh, yeah. I think, I think they, they, they put it in in the 70s. So it, it might have been – they took over the space next door at some point in the in the 60s or 70s i'm not sure exactly when but yeah that was like my late night spot that was where that was where i would go because it was open 24 hours and i love the differentiation between like new york deli versus sort of uh the california deli with the avocado oh yeah and san francisco too like when i lived in the bay area there was a great there was a great deli that my wife and i used to go to all the time um when, when I worked in, in, in San Francisco. And so that was like, that was like our, our weekly outing it was either there or we went for pizza. So, well, and now there's no shortage of pizza anywhere. One of my favorite things when you go on a trip, like you were talking about in France is at the end, when I don't have specific plans for people and trips, I like to walk around and just look at where the energy is and where there are a lot of people. So there could be four restaurants in a row and there's one where everybody mm-hmm. is. And, uh, and then I'll go there. I like to not do the research sometimes and just fall into someplace. That's how we just found La Capole in, um, in Paris. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the one with all the energy. And we had been down the street where that was the place where Bourdain talked about. What is it? What am I thinking? Uh, I can't remember. Not but sure. anyway, we, pardon me? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I'll remember it at some point. But that was expensive, and it was nice, but it didn't have all the energy. And so I said for dinner, well, that's going a, where the energy is. So. That's the thing. Is like sometimes the places that you look up, you know, there was one restaurant um, that I was really excited to go to, and it didn't have like the most exciting menu, and it wasn't even the most charming space. You know what I mean? But when I when we walked in, we were we we got in and we were we ordered, and they were funny, you know. And that was the thing that I thought was quirky about the space is like we show up and there's like this tall, thin, frilly, frizzy haired like server who was like half untucked with like a you know button down shirt and whatever. He looked like a character from like a fucking Ratatouille or something. And um, he's like trying to eat his staff meal on our table, right? So like they're bringing us back to our table and there he's like, oh, excuse me. And he like runs away. And then turns out he's like one of the most knowledgeable wine guys I've ever encountered. And so he was great. And then, you know, they, they brought out um, a menu for us. And then the chef came out because he had heard that I was a chef and his English was pretty bad, but he was really nice. And he kept bringing out things that he was like, chefs, uh, nobody likes this, but chefs. And so you just like, keep giving me things like head cheese and like all these random things. And then by the end of it, you know, like we're sitting in the corner and I turn around and I just done a dinner with Domaine Druin out in uh, wine country here. Uh, and right before we had left to go to France, like two days before. And some guy is like Aaron Barnett, Aaron Barnett, and it was the assistant winemaker who I had just done a dinner with two days before, mm. who was having dinner, and so I wound up chatting with this guy. There's two drunk French guys singing over in another corner, some random French drinking song, I imagine, and then like the server comes out and or the the chef comes back out afterwards, and he's 
you know, he's sitting there shooting the shit with me and like, we're having a, a nice little chat, like while everybody's kind of my, my family's heading out the door and he's like pouring me little shots of chartreuse and we're just kind of going back and forth chatting and whatever. And, and it was just like this perfect sort of quintessential French moment. My wife captured it like a little video of it at, from the front door of like singing Frenchmen, people smoking, you know, me talking to a chef and like doing like six, sipping back little shots and like some random French guy who I knew. Uh, but yeah, I mean like moments like that are like what make it, uh, it's fun. You know, I mean, it, it's more exciting to go places when you just kind of fall upon a place where it feels right. I found a, the last little story. I found a place when I was in Paris, uh, in 2015, I think with my son and we were going somewhere and I don't remember who it was, but they said, you got to go to this place down the street. And, um, so we went and I really had a great memory there. And so I was there uh, a few weeks ago, and it's a little place called A La Petite Chaise. It's written up mm -hmm. nowhere. I can't find it in any recommendation I looked, but it turns out it's the oldest restaurant, operating restaurant in, uh, in Paris. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And the server spoke no English, mm -hmm. and I speak a little French. I'm actually a little better at French. Don't call me on that, please, than I am <laughs> at Spanish or Italian, but because I learned, I took French in junior high school and high school, so it comes a little more naturally to me. But this guy was so awesome. He, he made sure we had the best time ever. He grabbed my camera off the table. And he's like, let me take pictures of you. And then I saw when at the end of the night, I was in our hotel room looking at the pictures that he took. And he took the camera back by himself and took all these selfies of himself <laughs> with really crazy expressions on his face, you know, French kind of expressions, French yeah, yeah. with his chin and his bow tie. And, oh, it was so awesome. And <laughs> I just loved it. And I'm, and I'm thinking, why don't I see this in any, I couldn't find it in any, you could find it online, of course, but it was in sure. nobody's recommended top lists and probably didn't have more than four stars, but. Oh, the food was great. That, yes, that kind of experience. And for me, food can be, food is, you know, great. It's wonderful when the food is great. But to me, the experience, the energy, the people puts it over the top. And that's what you're oh, yeah. just talking about, too. It's, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, like the experience of going to a place like Paul Bocuse and thinking like, oh, this is really fantastic. But my son was there. And at the time, he was shit five, you mm -hmm. know? And he sat through that entire meal and he ate and then they pull around the dessert carts and there are three of them and mm. you get to pick as many of the desserts off this cart, off these carts as you want. Mm -hmm. And to see his little face like light up and the server who was like this very stoic, you know, in a suit, you know, kind of guy mm -hmm. was like super into it. Like he was super into the fact that my son was so excited. And then at the end of the night, like the Mater D who was, you know, he must've been 70 years old and very proper. And like, he's obviously been at this restaurant <laughs> since like the 19. 50s you know and he you know my son had to do for school he had to ask uh somebody a professional person in france uh five questions about what they do and what they and that was part of like his homework for the trip and uh he chose this man and this man sat down and he we actually invited him to sit down he sat down and he chatted with my son for about half an hour mm. uh about you know what he does and how he does it and it was yeah, you know, it's like those are the kinds of things you remember, right? Um, yeah. 
yeah, kind of mind blowing. So yeah, and it's great that you've been able to take your son there too. So he'll have mm. those memories. Hopefully, at five, that's about that's about the window for yeah, memories. Where they start remembering that stuff. Yeah, you won't know for a while. Listen, speaking of memories, the beginning of this podcast is now a memory. You've spent you've you've devoted a lot of time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it's uh this is one of the longer ones and that generally happens when it's an easy flowing conversation there's a <laughs> lot of things we could have talked about that we haven't and doesn't and what that means is we could have you back again sometime for a little casual fun talk maybe we maybe sure. we can talk about a trip we'll do together again we'll put it together and that would be all sorts of fun either before or after so, yeah that'd be uh, great That'll be fun. I would love to do that. Aaron, I appreciate it. Um, have you, I, the one thing I was going to ask that I didn't, and I don't mean to continue this after I sort of started to end it, but, <laughs> like, but like a shitty girlfriend's like a bad breakup now. Or, or a long conversation <laughs> that just can't end. The, the keeps coming back at you on, but at any rate, <laughs> so, um, uh, did you, have you brought some of those, some of those little tidbits back to St. Jack or, or heavenly creatures, the, the, those kinds of things. You can't copy them necessarily, but do they stick with you so that you think, oh, I want to create this kind of, you, maybe you already do, but I want to create this sort of experience for people where the, it comes out of left field. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of, part of the game, right? Like I think, you know, a job's a job um, for a lot of people. A lot of people take it more seriously than others. You know, uh, I remember way back in the BWA days, for example, uh, when I was, uh, the first meal I went out for with my wife after she had had, we had had our son, um, and we brought him with us and, you know, we're new parents and like, he's being a little bit fussy and we're sitting there and Gabe, the owner, uh, walks up and he just grabs our son and he walks around with him for 15 minutes. Right. And it, it was the most luxurious 15 minutes. Like we're both like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Where is our son right now? Right. But he took, he, he allowed for us to eat with two hands and that <laughs> was amazing. Right. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I did that uh, later on down the road for another uh, friend of ours, a, a chef friend who had come in and they were having the exact same experience at St. Jack. And I walked right up and I grabbed their kid and I just kind of bopped him around for a while and let them eat for a few minutes. And, That's awesome. you know, I, I think stuff like that, um, gives people memories and it gives people a reason to go back. Right. Like for me working at the chef's counter most nights and being able to chat with those guests, I meet a lot of people that way. And I meet right. a lot of, uh, I make a lot of connections that way. And I also like meet a lot of people who want to come back. And, and, and I think that that's kind of uh, part of the culture that I'm trying to create, well, not just create, but like keep going at that place. So it doesn't just feel like you're going out for dinner, but it feels like you're coming out to hang out and to have a good time and to enjoy yourself. Because I think that, that that's part of the experience. Uh, just coming out for dinner and having somebody take your order and then walk away is fine. That's the job, right? That's the, that's right. the gig. And that's, and that's what you get. And that's what you do. But I think that there is like another step, right? And, and, and I think that that step is where, um, I want us to be. I want us to be that place that you remember and you have a funny story about or a quirky experience or that server you loved or that Dathan, right? Like you have that guy that you go back and back for all the time. You know, right. that's, that's the thing I think that's most exciting and coming back and working there again, full time, seeing all those same faces that I hadn't seen in a while uh, has been awesome for me because I get to, yeah, I get to see old faces and see that they're still coming and, and, and I get to see them more frequently now and, and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully make them laugh and, uh, give them something good to eat. So, 
Good. The embodiment of hospitality, especially when all hands are on deck in the restaurant, then and everybody understands what that is that it, that it's not just a job that it's a an, it's an experience for people and and making those experiences for people and so that's what you're doing now with Giant Squid, trying to perpetuate that. So the embodiment of hospitality, Aaron Barnett. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time here, man. I appreciate it. No, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to chat with you. Always. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right